0: Uh, We're we're going to be unpacking Romans chapter uh, chapter 8, verses 26 through 30, and I call this a sure help, a sure help. As many of you know, I was present with, with my wife for the birth of our first child. And when that child was born, Kendra Lee, when that child was born, I had several feelings, one of which was, this is the most beautiful thing other than my wife that I've ever seen. I had this other feeling as, oh man, look what I've done. How many know I really didn't do a whole lot? Um, I had the feeling of, this rush of love for a child that I've never experienced, to be the protector, to be the provider, to be the one that would pray over her, to be a dad to her, to guide her in the right way. And and then as that began to be unfolded, we wanted her to grow up with knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and picking good and appropriate friends, and developing character in her, and all of those things, and, and that's what began to guide our lives. It was no longer just the two of us, it was now the three of us, and that one person's vote seemed to outvote just the two of us, and uh, it, it really was, we look back on it, it was, what a wonderful time. Now she's mature and has two, grand, two of our own grandchildren and we it's just life is sort of coming full circle. That doesn't mean that there won't be any difficult times and we parent our children. Uh, they go through times and I, I I've forgotten most of them, but the getting up in the middle of the night to change a diaper, the crying, the whatever it is, the Christmas presents when you've worked and planned and all of the all the, the kids and their cousins. They unwrap their presents as quickly as they can and then look with jealousy at what their siblings have gotten. I sort of forget all that. But my life and Chris's life was dedicated to being the very best parents we could. We began with the end in mind. And the key to this passage here and in Romans 8, for that matter, is this, is that our Father, God, is a good, good Father. He enters into relationship with us with the end in mind. And the end in mind that he enters into, Paul writes that he would conform us to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of plans that I have, but there's nothing that I can think of that would even begin to compare For my heavenly father's plan for my life. Everything that he does is with the intention of conforming me to the image of his son Jesus Christ. And all the plans that we have then, because they pale in comparison, we lay them down at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, they're yours. You take them. You use me for your kingdom and for your glory. And so, as we get into this passage today, God's Word tells us that we are created in His image, but also there are some things that He says to us that bring assurance to our heart of His work that's in our life, and I want to share those with you. Romans chapter 8 is a recap of the divine benefits of the follower of Jesus Christ. There's no more condemnation in Him. We are at liberty. We have found freedom. Sins, condemnation in our life, has been broken once and for all because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The divine benefit means that these are benefits that can only come from God. They can't come from the best family, from the best education, from the, from the best position, from the best intentions. They cannot come from our friends. They only come from the Lord. We are now adopted into his family. We have the spirit of adoption, and we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Daddy, Father, to him. We have a certain future. The resurrection is ours. We have a sure help. Today we're going to be unpacking what a sure help means. Next week is a certain salvation. All of these things, all of these things are found in Romans chapter 8, and I believe that the Lord wants us to, to just receive Greatly and look deeply, if you would, into what he's doing in our lives. And so we're going to plunge into these next few verses. I want us to read verses 26 and 27. This theme today is that we have a sure help. Paul wrote these words in the same way the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of god a few verses before this verses 18 through 25 after paul had talked about being heirs with Jesus Christ and joint heirs with him in the spirit of sonship and, and waiting for adoption and all of those benefits. Verse 18 through 25, he talks about the sufferings that we go through sometimes as a follower of Jesus Christ. Sufferings are inevitable. If we follow him, he said, take up your cross and follow me. But now when we get to verse 26 through 30, he begins to tell us, what we have in Jesus Christ that we can, why we have hope and why we can handle these situations with his help. And so he says, likewise, or in the same way, when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us. We have the inner witness of the Spirit of God. So in your notes this morning, the first thing is that prayer means a healthy and normal spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father. Prayer means, when we pray, and regular prayer means that we have a healthy and a normal spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father. All of us know our kids, and we knew when, we could tell when they're hiding something. You know what I'm talking about, right? You can tell that, you know, like. They're saying no on the outside, but, you know, it's all over their face. They're as guilty as sin. I mean, you just knew that. They're, they decided to, to not talk. And if you'd press them, and fortunately most parents have a way, the key to unlock things, and, and they get them to talk after a while. But prayer is the language not only of heaven, but it's the language of the right here and the now to our heavenly Father, Jesus said that when you pray, pray this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it comes in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, that's dependence, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When Moses prayed, the Old Testament says that he changed the mind of God. When David, I just read this past week in 1 Samuel, when David prayed, God had decided he was going to do something as discipline. And David prayed and interceded, and the scripture says he changed the heart of God. There's power in prayer. In fact, someone has said that seven days without prayer makes one weak, W-E-A-K. You get that? Yeah, seven days without prayer makes one week. Okay, we're gonna move on. All right. But here's the deal: when we we pray, we don't often know how to pray, but the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What that means is this: is that our weaknesses, we only know what we know. We only can see what we can see. We're limited. And so we often pray according to what we know and what we see. But the problem is our weaknesses are many because we're human. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but there's such a thing as the fall. Did you ever hear about the fall? Yes, yes. Sin has stained and tainted the human race and has tainted all of us. And so when we pray, we often don't know how to pray but thank God, His the Spirit helps us. And what the Spirit helps us mean is that the word literally means that He takes a share. He takes a share in helping us. He takes a share in our burdens. Let me explain it this week this way. Back in the day when I first started ministry, we we're on the outer banks, and so we uh, we worked. And I've shared some of this with you before. And we were building houses. And we had a we had a, a foreman on the job that I absolutely just loved him, but his name was Joe Spencer. He had come into uh, uh, he come into the church and into the fullness of God's Spirit and just what a what a wonderful salvation. And he was just he you know he was he was just a wonderful guy to be around. But but he was 55 or 58, and so when you're 25. You think the guy that's 55 or 58 is the old man, right? He's just old. Everyone's old. And so he called us you boys. That's how he we addressed. Now you boys, listen here, you know. But he was a master carpenter. And so, but he had this saying, he'd go around and and uh, he was often praying and he'd go around and if something surprised him, he'd go, glory to God, like that on the job. And so... Um, glory to God, and so uh, we'd start doing things to surprise them, and glory to God, you know, (laughs) and and so we were building a house, a two-story house, and we had to build a scaffold, and uh, we built it according to our instructions, the best of our ability, and uh, uh, built that thing, and and they used to use like four-by-fours, and then like a Maybe a two by twelve that they'd nail on the side of the house and into this four by four and then they we'd put use what we call aluminum catwalk that was up there and and uh and every spike that we use they're they're rated to to hold five hundred pounds and so you'd put several spikes in one and you'd have three up on the catwalk and and so all of us, I mean, we we're all pretty good, good size, even back then, 200 pounds plus. There's three of us up there, and we built that pretty solid. And so we get up there, and one of the guys was Billy Swindell, and I can still remember him. And you know how guys are. We're just fooling around, and all of a sudden, Billy, there was some surprise. He went, glory to God, like that. And when he did, we all knew, we all laughed, and the, the scaffolding collapsed immediately, well, <laughs> I'll tell you how it was quite a drop. The floor from the ceiling right there is 18 feet high. This is 12 feet high, so it was two-thirds of what this was. It was, I mean, that, that's up in the air. How many know that? That 12 feet drop is a drop, and fortunately, 25 years old, and God's grace, I guess, in our life, and limber joints, and no one was hurt, and so we... There's this big clatter and clamor and this crash and this noise, and I still remember Billy's eyes, they were like two pie plates. I mean, we're going down, it just, it was crazy. And so we began to look, and what, what was it? I mean, we built it the way they said, and this is what we discovered, this is what we discovered. We were using... A, a wood that they there was a yellow pine or there's another version called a red pine that's even harder. And we had nailed those number 16 nails galvanized in, but we didn't know in in that four by four there was a huge knot. And it felt as solid as ever. We're driving that thing and this only I've only ever seen it once the spikes went in and they hit that knot that was so hard it literally turned into a U-turn, and the point was coming back at us. There was only one spike that was holding that whole thing. And how many know? Seven or eight hundred pounds every day uh, outweighs 500 pounds of strength? We only knew what we knew. We could only see what was in front of us. We often pray and we don't know how to pray because we pray according to what we see. We don't pray according to the sovereignty of God. We pray for relief. We pray for provision. We pray for a number of things or we don't pray at all. And we listen to voices around us and who says this, or we get so busy, or we say, oh, prayer doesn't make a difference, and what's what's the use of praying anyway? Well, this is what the use of it is. Paul wrote that when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us. When we pray, he begins to make intercession for us according to to God's will for our lives. It's perfect prayer. In fact, it means the Spirit pleads for God's own people in God's own way. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter comes alongside and He prays for us when we pray. When we don't pray, it's as though we've left God alone. He's out of the picture. But when we pray, we invite God into the picture. Those things that we don't see and that we don't know, he prays according to the perfect will of God. Can someone say, thank you, Lord? Yes, he prays. The other day, my wife was, uh, we have a cat, and we've determined that once this thing dies, that's the last cat we're gonna own. <laughs> How old is that now, 14 years? He's been a good cat. Yeah, he's lasted further, a lot longer than the others. And uh, we have our share of cat stories. (laughs) Um, We like him, but he's gotten up there in age. And so most mornings now around 5 o'clock, he's yowling to be fed. Like, you have dry cat food, but no, he wants canned cat food. So my wife gets out of bed and goes downstairs and gets him some cat food out of the refrigerator we have down there to keep his cat food. And uh, But when she was down there, she just felt impressed to go into one of our grandchildren's room to pray. That morning, quarter after five, it's it's a hard situation. We only can pray by what we see. And I'm saying all this to say that there's a lot of benefits to prayer, and sometimes there's benefits we don't even know. And she stepped into that room at quarter after five and she heard Psss. there was a, a leak in the pipe in the ceiling. And I heard a yelp. And I went, oh my goodness, you know, like. So I went down. I'm in my bare feet and I walk on the carpet and the water's squishing up around my feet. But we caught it in time so it was only maybe a 12 foot by 12 foot area. Now listen, my wife went down to pray. She listened to the prompting of the spirit. If prayer was not important, I can tell you there would have been thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage. That's just a side benefit of prayer. Can someone say amen? It was enough trouble as it was on that tearing up carpet and everything else. But God's word says this, that when we pray, The Spirit intercedes with us with groanings that are too deep to be uttered. Paul made reference to this in verse 23 when he said, we long and groan for adoption as sons, that day when we'll see Jesus Christ and all of creation, he'll reconcile all things to himself. That's the plan that God has. But groanings that are too deep to be uttered. Groanings mean, friend, that when we pray, we groan or we long for in earnest expectation. It's that deep down longings and supplications which well up from our innermost beings and they cannot be imprisoned or defined by our words and we groan in the spirit. Paul used the same language in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 when he said when you pray in the spirit or speak in the spirit, you pray to God. We groan in the spirit. And there's a prayer language that God gives to us. It's not that we always speak in that prayer language. Not long ago, someone, another pastor asked me, we're together at some place, and they said, what do you do when you get dry or when you get, you know, how do you restore yourself? I said, I go to the church basement. That you do? I said, yeah. Like, what's in the church basement? I've been in a lot of church basements. How many know they're not the greatest place to go? But it's the one place in the building that I can get alone with God. And I can pray. There's things that weigh on me. There's things that I don't know how to deal with. There's things that I can see, but I don't have the big picture. And I can go before the Lord, and I walk up and down these halls. And I pray for the classrooms, and I pray for the kids, and I pray for the teachers. And I just ask the Lord, Oh God, would you show me the way? Oh Lord, would you take this? Would you solve this? And often it's just, Oh Jesus, Oh Jesus, I need you. Sometimes it's speaking in tongues, but there's this deep down longing inside that only God can satisfy. How many know what I'm talking about? And when we pray like that, the Spirit of God intercedes with us. It's not just us. Paul said, and we know that when we pray, he prays, praise his name, amen, praise God. The second thing, or he said, likewise, the second thing is, he said, we know, we know. Verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, and we know. The word know that's used there, it is the certain knowledge of faith. In your notes, I want to flip-flop the two points that you have. The first thing is this, is that God is in control. He sees what we cannot see. And he knows what we do not know, but he is sovereign. He's in control. He's in control of those who are in control. Trust Him. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose, there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. There are no second-class citizens in the family of God. Every person. God is at work when we are called and called according to his purpose. There are no exceptions to this. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to have the right friends. You don't have to have the right clothes. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be gaff free You don't have to be the life of the party. You don't, you don't have to be those that are never awkward around people. There are no exceptions. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God is at work and causes these things to somehow come together. Down at Ocean City, the boardwalk, um, they, they have this guy that sits there uh, with spray paint cans, and he does pictures. How many have seen him? Yeah, and the music's playing, you know, and, and, and there's a crowd, and on the boardwalk, I mean, come on, there's only so much thrashers you can eat, you know what I'm saying, and only so much uh, Fisher's popcorn or some like Dolly's, but whatever you like. You can only stuff yourself so much, you know what I'm talking about. And so whenever there's a crowd on the boardwalk, it draws people like a moth to the flame. And so last year we were down there and we went over and, and there's this guy, he's sitting there, he must have 50 or 60 cans of spray paint. And the music's going and he's he's spraying on this, I don't know, poster board or something. And I, I'm looking and say, what in the world? What's the what's the attraction? What's he doing? You know? And then he's doing grabbing this, grabbing that, and he's, you know, putting it together and, and then you start to. See that a picture's emerging, then he'll grab something just like phew across everything. I said, Oh, he must be upset. He's gonna turn start all over. No, he grabs another can of paint, a different kind of does something else. If you stick with him long enough, when it's all said and done, he holds that things up and people go, ooh, ah, and they're rushing at him with money. They want to buy that thing. Well, you know, God is at work in our lives, friends. We don't know the end from the beginning, but the end from the beginning is that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And when that's the end, everything that God does in our life, that's what he's aiming for in his life. Can someone say, thank you, Lord? Yes. Everything that comes into our life, there's a purpose for it. The third thing is that God has placed us in his family. I'm going to read some words that we are going to set off some labels in your mind this morning. I'm going to ask you just to set those aside for a minute. And the unfortunate thing about labels, we like to label people with that and put them in a box. That's our way of dealing with it, with them. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become, conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. It's important to know that this passage is not nearly so much a passage on doctrine, whether you believe you're a follower of the Calvinist Calvinism or Reformed or Pelagian or Arminianism. They're all views of soteriology, of salvation. What this passage is all about is that why and how God works in the life of his children. That's what this is about. It's not nearly so much an exhaustive and on-point view of divine election according to the label that you carry. And by the way, how many know when we get to heaven, God's not going to check our labels? He's going to check, have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in my son, Jesus Christ? Are you a member of, Of my family. To foreknow means that he knew, he has always known his people ahead of time. Adam and Eve were the first people of God and he knew them ahead of time. Israel was the people of God and he knew them ahead of time. The church is an extension of the people of God and he knows us, his people, ahead of time. God's plan for his people began with his decision to enter relationship with us. And because of that, therefore, he has predestined us as the children of God, to be conformed to the image of his son. Therefore, we are called, we are justified. When we are forgiven of our sins, it's just as if I would not done it. How many get that? And we are called, we're justified, and glorified, present and future. Leslie Newbegin said this, to be elect in Christ Jesus. And there is no other election means to be incorporated into his mission to the world, to be the bearer of God's saving purpose. In other words, to be a living epistle, Paul wrote, to be the, to be the testimony of God's saving purpose and grace for his whole world, to be the sign and, and, and the agent, and to be among the first fruits of his blessed kingdom, which is forever and ever and ever. Praise his name. If we would concentrate on anything, it's what it means to be elect in the sun. What our purpose is. How many understand that? It's not enough to flash your credentials. How many get that? It's not enough to say, I've got a driver's license, therefore I can drive any old way I want. That's not it. The proof is in the pudding. Can someone say amen? Can someone say amen. amen. Without being bad, okay? And because you are elect in Jesus Christ as a follower of the Lord, he has predestined you to be conformed to his image. When our daughter was born, the first thoughts that went through our mind I shared some of them with you. We had something in mind, something in view for her, and everything took place because of that. I'm going to have the band come if they would at this time, please. So what this means in your notes, there are three things. It means that God, we're in process. We're in process. God is creating a new race in his image to share his glory and wonder. That's why the Bible says, God says, let us make man a humanity, mankind, humankind in our image. is to share his glory and his wonder. And then came the fall and this world was stained and forever changed because of sin. But that's why Jesus Christ has has become the firstborn. The lamb slain before the beginning of the world so that he could take your sin and my sin upon the cross. So we're in process, Um, process that Jesus would lead many brothers and sisters in a very large family that God has planned for. I'm grateful there's not just 144,000. How about you? That there are, it's a big family that God has planned for. Whosoever will. It means that when God's at work in us, it's the difference between parenting and winning at all costs. One of our daughters was a fairly good athlete and uh, she made, she made the team made the cut when she was a freshman and she was what they call a goalie or a keeper and and uh, she got in a game and and uh, they scored a goal on her I'll never forget there are parents in there that cussed her out because to them it was about winning to me it was about parenting and God God loves us, and in this process, it's about about parenting us. It's It's not about winning at all costs. How many understand the difference? It also means that there's position, there's sonship, and adoption, and we're heirs with Christ, and there's no condemnation, and we're justified, and we're glorified, and there's a future resurrection, and that's a done deal in the Lord's position. But it also means promise, that God's at work in us right now, that one day we will be conformed to the image of his son. And I mentioned before, I can't imagine any of my plans that would ever begin to compare to the plans that my heavenly father has for me. I only see things through a glass darkly. I only know what I know. I only know what, where I've been but God is at work. That's why Paul could say, I'm confident of this very thing that he began a good work in us, is faithful to bring it to completion. This promise that he has for us is almost never a microwave deal, but a crock pot. Gary mentioned God has something in the oven, a slow roaster. Yeah, I've had chicken breast cooked in the microwave. Man, I like it grilled. How about you? I like it roasted Thanksgiving turkey. I like that baby in there for a long time. And that's how God works in our life. He began a good work in us. He's bringing it to completion. He's able to guard what you've entrusted to him. Not what other people say, not what other people think, but what you have entrusted to him. I want to encourage you to trust him, to trust him, trust him. He wants to include you into his family. As a father who loves us, as a father who already has a plan mapped out, and all of heaven and all of heaven's resources are dedicated to you and I obtaining what the Lord has set for us. Praise his name. Amen. Praise God. Would you bow your heads for me, with me?